Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, your post-NFL draft edition. That's right. For yet another year, Missouri has safely had a Missouri Tiger drafted in the NFL draft. It goes all the way back to 2004, so whoop, bullet dodged. But we're going to talk about the guy who got drafted, some guys who got some, you know, some undrafted free agent deals signed. We're going to talk about portal movement. We're going to talk about potential starting quarterback. We're going to talk about roster rebuilding in the era of the portal. BK, are you ready to talk about all this stuff? I can't wait. Yeah, all the activity, all, all of the movement taking place in the wonderful world of college football in the month of May. What more could you ask for? Really can't ask for more than that. So thank God we got the draft. We love roster building around these parts. That does extend to the NFL because it's watching our little baby college football players get uh, get their real, first real jobs, get out there and make some money playing the sport that they love. And like I said, Missouri got another guy drafted. This time it was Isaiah McGuire. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Cleveland Browns. So I guess join uh, Jordan Elliott, who was also drafted by the Browns, who I believe is still on the team. Uh, so that that is the one guy who got uh, drafted, which, you know, that was the guy we all thought would have the best shot of uh of getting drafted by an NFL team and here we are. BK, again, you are a resident NFL guru, yeah. knowledge, roster guy. Tell me, is is Isaiah walking into a good situation here? Uh yeah, I mean, I I suppose like the Browns are a weird team because last year they kind of went all in and let's set aside the off-field stuff because it's impossible to have any conversation about the Browns without talking about their quarterback. Um a quarterback for those that are curious that don't really pay attention to the NFL is Deshaun Watson. Uh, he, they basically gave up a godfather offer and paid him all of the money uh, to make him their quarterback, and it didn't work in year one. He looked awful. The team was not very good. The defense, though, I mean, he's potentially going to be pass rushing opposite Miles Garrett. That's a pretty good job. Like, Miles Garrett's really good at the football stuff, so... He's entering a defense where he's just going to be asked to rush the passer and basically nothing else. And I think that'll be a pretty good spot for Isaiah McGuire. I would expect that he'll probably be like a situational pass rusher in year one. And then we kind of see where he develops from there because he's uh, going to be behind a couple of guys uh, that already have a pretty established spot there on the roster. Congratulations to Isaiah. Again, keeping the banner waving. 
keeping Missouri relative, how relevant, I should say, in the NFL draft, which is always nice. There were other two two other guys who we thought could get their names called, inevitably didn't. But that's okay because instead of getting drafted in the sixth or seventh round, when you're kind of an afterthought, you get to go the undrafted free agent round and kind of call your shots sometimes. So let's start with the first one, DJ Coleman. If you remember, he was called up from the FCS ranks. Last year, he had a standout year last year. He got to sign an undrafted free agent deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, keep in mind, they also drafted like Tyler Lacey out of Oklahoma State, uh, Yasir Abdullah out of Louisville, uh, and I believe also Derek Parrish out of Houston. So it's not like he's the only defensive end that's going to be joining a team from a rookie standpoint. But BK, Jacksonville seems to be a team on the rise, especially with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback and a coach that's not Urban Meyer calling the shots. <laughs> How do we feel about DJ Coleman signing here? Uh, good spot. This is one of those things where, like, it's so hard to evaluate because DJ Coleman's most likely path is he makes a um, practice squad in year one and then hopefully makes a roster by year two or three in the NFL. I mean, it's not a bad deal to make an NFL practice squad. I think it's like $200,000 as a full-year salary for those players. You can do pretty well for yourself by just latching on to the back end of a roster. There are more spots on the practice squad now than there were in previous years. So it's it's not a bad living, and he's got a chance to be able to do that. The reason why I say, like, I, I'm not sure about the landing spot in the with the Jaguars, it doesn't really matter. Because when you're in the NFL and you're going through the preseason, you're not just practicing and playing for your team. That film goes out to every other team in the NFL. And by roster cutdown days, chances are DJ Coleman will not make the Jaguars. But if he's playing well in the third or fourth quarter of preseason games, there very well could be another team that looks at him and says, hey, what we need is a big, strong, run-defending defensive end. And he fits all of that criteria to a T. If teams are looking for, like, a really bendy edge rusher, he's never going to be that guy. It wasn't what he was at Mizzou, not going to be what he's going to be in the NFL. But he can bring that toughness to the edge, and he could be a guy that stuffs the run for you on first and second down. And there's a need for those guys in the league. So uh, it's hard to say for sure, specifically with Jacksonville, how they'll fit in or if he'll end up fitting in there. But I do think that he's got a real chance. And this is what I wrote uh, over at Rocket Nation whenever I broke him down for the draft. I think he's got a chance to be able to latch on in the NFL, even though the odds are obviously against him as a UDFA. And then lastly, the mayor of Columbia, the kid from Rockbridge High School, Martez Manuel. We here in these parts love Martez Manuel, four-year starter at Missouri, captain, just the heart and soul of that defense for such a long time. Great production in his four years in college. Maybe the measurables, maybe the raw skills weren't as good as you wanted to be, and it seems like that was kind of the consensus from at least the NFL side. Uh, he goes undrafted free agent as well. He does get to stay in Missouri, though, which, you know, if you wanted to stay there, cool. If you wanted to get out, sorry, you're now in Kansas City. But there are worse places to be than Kansas City, let BK tell you. Uh, so, BK, he's, he's, he's going to your hometown team. He is a safety. He's with the Kansas City Chiefs. What does that mean for him? Uh, so kind of like with DJ Coleman, the, the odds are against him making the active roster. What he's hoping for is, I mean, if he was going to land in a defense, this is a really good landing spot for him because the Chiefs, much like many other teams around the league now, they'll go to that big nickel or they'll get into the dime and they'll have a safety that is essentially in the middle of the field serving as a linebacker. And for Martez Manuel... That is his only role. That in being a ass kicker on special teams. If you can do those two things, you can carve out a really nice career in the NFL. And that's what he's going to be asked to do in Kansas City. My, that would be my guess, at least. Um, if you're a Chiefs fan, you've seen this in the past. Daniel Sorensen was the guy that played in that role where he's a safety that kicks down into the box. And on obvious passing downs, he is your one linebacker, quote unquote, on the field. That's what Manuel will be asked to do. Can he do it? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know if he can do it at the NFL level. But uh, if he can, there's going to be a spot for him somewhere around the league, whether it's this year or practice squad first, and then potentially uh, trying to make a roster again in future seasons. Best of luck to all three. This, all, all these guys asked for is a shot, and they got it. 
And so if you can make the most of it, obviously you can make a decent career. Hey, man, there's only 90 of these spots per team right, right now. And then later on, there's only 53 of them. So for them to be able to get that opportunity, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you are you are one of the best football players in the world at this point if you can make it that far. So there's certainly no no shame in, in anything that, that anybody says about you. You made it that far, which is pretty cool. You know, BK, the, the, the draft prospects for Missouri were pretty slim this year, but that's because our entire defense is coming back. It kind of seems like, again, we're, we're trying to read the, you know, read the future here, but 365 days from now, we could talk about, I don't know, three, four Missouri Tigers getting drafted. And really, I think it's mostly from the defensive side when you're thinking like Darius Robinson, Josh Landry, you know, Jaden Jernigan, all those guys who came in and decided to stick around. Tyron Hopper for sure. Like, at this time next year, are we talking about a better crop if, if things go as expected? Good question. Um, who do you think will be the top drafted player from Mizzou next year? I think Javon Foster. I mean, tackles are at a premium. If you can get one, like, you need to get one. So I would put him up there. I think I'd also put Hopper up there, wouldn't you? I don't know. I don't know how the league's going to view Tyron Hopper. Um, I would think so. But his production really slipped in the SEC last year. Yeah, um, especially in the back half of the year. He's going to be an older prospect at this point because he'll be a redshirt senior, and that plays into some of the analysis yeah. from teams as well. He's He is really fast, and he can create havoc. Yes. And when you can do those two things, you've got a spot. So I think he will be drafted how high. That's where I, I sometimes wonder. Um, I think Carlisle will be drafted. I was going to say Jalen Carlisle, yeah. I think Chris Abrams' drain will be drafted. I think Straw will be drafted. Yep. I think Robinson will be drafted. I wouldn't be surprised if late maybe Christian Williams gets an opportunity. Um, so I think they'll have more guys drafted. But if you're asking, like, will there be anybody that is drafted ahead next year of what you saw this year with Isaiah McGuire? I think Foster's probably your best shot along with Darius Robinson. I would say one of those two players. Yeah. You think that's fair? I do. You know, I mean, you're you're discounting, you know, Brady Cook's Heisman Trophy run where he didn't just leaves early, um, pulls the old Max Duggan. Um, no, I, I don't see a lot of offensive players uh, getting called outside of like a Javon Foster. Uh, but, you know, if Marcellus Johnson balls out, maybe he, he gets drafted. But it's just... It is so tough to find an offensive lineman that if there is one that you value, that there is one that is good, then you got to jump on it and, and protect your passer, right? So, By the way, did you see where Max Duggan, just to briefly revert back to that, did you see where he went? Uh, was drafted this year? It was seventh round, wasn't it? The seventh round. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was a great story last year. I hope he I hope he makes a million, billion dollars doing nothing but practicing really well and holding a clipboard. That's right. That's the best. Be the next Chase Daniel. That's Chase Daniel lifestyle. Right, I mean, be. Yeah. Yeah. To earn that money as a backup, dude. No dude, concussions, dude. no pressure. Just Chase is literally up. working for NFL Network while being a quarterback. What a life, man. What a life. Three kids, beautiful family, two jobs. American dream, baby. American dream. Grind style, right? Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see, but I, I do feel better about next year's chances of getting multiple guys into the draft uh, or get drafted, I should say. Um, it's just everybody decided to come back, which is a nice problem to have when all your good players decide to come back instead of go pro. So let me ask you one more thing, Nate, on this mm-hmm. on this subject. On Mizzou's roster currently, not necessarily in next year's draft. Okay, who do you think will be the highest drafted player? And let, do you think it'll be Luther Burden? Well, no, because he'd only be a second-year player. No, I'm in general, just like you project oh. four years down the road, maybe I a see. freshman, maybe it's a six-year whoever, but on their current roster, who will be selected the highest in whichever draft they are eligible? So the draft puts a, pr- a premium on quarterbacks, offensive tackles, edge rushers, and wide receivers. In so, corners, if you impact yeah. the pass, yeah, you are a premium. So let's go through this. Quarterback, probably not. Receiver, Luther Burden. 
especially if he makes a leap that we all expect him to make. Offensive line, if Logan Reichert is anything that his pedigree says, maybe, but I don't know. He's edge rusher. He's in the NFL, too. That's the other thing. He is a, he is a mauler and a little less good at the pass rushing or pass blocking. Uh, defensive end, I like uh, Kai Lane from high school, but I don't know if that means that he's going to grow into a killer uh, pass rusher. Uh, Chris Abrams drain. I, I saw a tweet. Wasn't he like, uh, like one of the top 32 players or you know, projected top 32 players for next year? I have not uh, seen that anywhere. So I would say no. It's like the early, early stuff. I, I, it, Hey, if he, if he breaks up another 14 passes, yeah, go ahead. I just, I think I'll, I'll tell you right now, five eleven a buck 78. I'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, and that's on Mizzou's site. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Harrison Mavis is probably the best player, but nobody drafts kickers. Yeah. I'm going to say, man, I'm, I'm going to say Luther Burn. That feels like a cop out. What do you think? I think that's probably right. But man, Luther's got a lot of work to do before he gets there. Again, we are assuming the Dom leap, right? Yeah. That's. Yeah. If, if he gets the leap that you're hoping for, like Luther's a no doubter. The problem for him too, though, is like. He's a yak guy. He's a yards after catch that he's listed at 5'11". He's probably closer to 5'10". Like, he's running back size. And, like, that's fine, but NFL teams would, would like you to be a little bigger than that. I, You know who his probably closest comparison is if things go well is uh, Jonathan Mingo from Ole Miss was just selected <laughs> this year. Now, Luther has a higher ceiling than what Jonathan Mingo is right now, um, but that's kind of what he's hoping – to be in terms of draft capital. Mingo was taken with like the 35th overall pick. So he was like a high second rounder. Um, Luther could project to be that at some point. So I, I think that's probably the answer though. Let me ask you this. Does the NFL value kick returns, punt returns? And if Luther shows that ability next year, do you think that raises his profile? If it, if we were talking about a guy that's in like the fourth or fifth round, that that starts to matter a lot more than if we're talking about somebody in the top 50. Top 50, it's like, hey, I need you to be a stud at whatever position is it is that you're going to be playing for us. Um, once you get outside of that, special team starts to take a little bit more of an, an effect to it. But mm-hmm. um, unless you're just like Devin Hester as a returner, it, yeah. it's kind of tough for that to add real value. So the, the guy that we haven't mentioned, and this is this is purely pedigree talk, right? Theo Theo Weiss. Oh, my God, the horse. Of course, the horse is going to go first. Theo Weiss, he did not really do much at Oklahoma. I don't know if he's going to be featured here, but he is 6'3", 205. So let's say 6'2", 200. But, you know, his his style of play is that big ops possession guy. I know that receivers have been picked, like his profile, have been picked high. Maybe if he does really well this year, it's like, I don't know. I'm talking myself into something. If this so it was running like a 4-2, maybe, maybe. Well, I don't know if he will, but yeah. yeah. That, I think that's that's his uh, that's his path. He's being fast. Really, 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 really fast. Like special fast. If you can do that, you, you might be able to get a little something, but um, I would be surprised by that. You know who You know who actually is interesting to me in this regard? Um I don't know what the, he's going to be because we've basically never seen him play college football. It'd be nice to see it this year. Marquise Grayshaw. That That's one that we should throw out there. And again, this is purely a projection because we have no idea if he's good at college football yet, much less an NFL athlete. But what he did in high school, his size, like everything projects to be a stud interior pass rusher. And those guys go high. Yeah. Like, if you have the ability to rush the passer with good size from the interior, it is so hard to find those guys in the league that that's something that could end up getting drafted at a yeah. pretty high level. Sheldon Richardson. It's yep. what I always wanted Terry Beckner to be, and he ended up, you know, seventh round. I'm, I don't think he even made it a year. So, um, yeah. Play Marquise Grishiel. Let us see what he can do, please. Uh, speaking of the Missouri roster... Let's talk about a loss, especially one from the defensive line. Arden Walker, our lone Colorado boy. 
the first of the you know Colorado recruiting story that that Eli Drinkwitz told us when he when he was first hired, and he went out there and he went to Cherry Creek in Denver. He got Arden Walker on, and there he goes, there he goes. He hit the portal. I you know we we don't see much of practice, and what we see is so very very little. And you have to rely on reports, and we can make assumptions based off of how we look at the roster. But it kind of seemed like. Arden Walker was going to be given a shot as a starting defensive end position this year, especially when he was starting in the bowl game opposite Johnny Walker. Now, Johnny Walker's been talked about a lot during spring. You didn't hear a whole lot about Arden Walker. Well, here we go. He's gone. And it's from a position where Missouri needs some dudes. They now have seven edge rushers. Johnny Walker Jr., Joe Moore from Arizona State, Austin Firestone from Northwestern, and then your freshman. Jordan Harris, Ja'Kai Lane, Serene Tunkara, Sam Williams. Now, it sounds like uh, our former four-star boy, um, DJ Weselak, is is working with the defensive ends now, so there there is a potential there, but he is also a redshirt freshman. Um, it's kind of confusing. It seemed like there was a path for Arden Walker to start and see some playing time, and now he's gone. Now, not all transfer portals are the same. Some are push-outs, some are options. You know, some are the guy wants to leave. So we're not making any comments on that, but just from the fact that he has gone, BK, how do you feel? It kind of stinks because you just wanted to see what he could do. Um, I, I wanted to get the opportunity, and this is one of the risks, and we don't know the like full explanation as to why Arden Walker decided to leave. I got some important context here. We don't know if this was a purely personal decision for him. Hey, there's a team that we'll be talking about a little bit later, pretty close to where he grew up. That is accepting a lot of transfers right now. And by a lot, I mean basically a full roster of them. And if he just wants to go play for a guy that goes by the nickname Prime, like, I get it. Kind of hard to be able to compete with that, right? But if this is a playing time issue, if this is a I didn't see an opportunity for me here issue, it goes back to, and we don't have to rehash it, but the same conversation that we've had a million different times, which is, does it make more sense to bring in these high floor, low ceiling transfers, or does it make more sense to trust your internal pieces to continue progressing and give them those opportunities? And that's one of the things that I hope we find out sooner rather than later with Arden Walker, which is, is Joe Moore good? Is Austin Firestone a good piece? Do you have the necessary players to be able to play this way at edge rusher i don't know the answer to that question yet but arden walker i thought was going to fit into finding out what that looks like sad i i liked him he seemed to be uh, a good uh glue guy culture guy uh character guy you didn't again you don't see much of from these players you don't hear a lot from them but you know following them on social media Seeing him in a couple of those uh, the video shots that the team releases, he just seemed like a good dude. A good dude uh, with good attitude. And that was a guy that I wanted to see play, just like you. I wanted to see what he could do. And we saw a little bit during the bowl game, but he's going to apply his trade somewhere else probably, uh, which leaves Missouri again with seven defensive ends, possibly eight. Half of them are freshmen. Like, I agree with you about that group. Not great. I'd feel better if Arden Walker was still around. Um, you know, the thing is that a Blake Baker defense is going to create havoc kind of from all over. Sure. But you still need some edge rushers. You still need some guys to set the ledge. And the fact that you're relying on two transfers, one of which is also a redshirt freshman, I don't know. That, that makes me a little uneasy. How do you feel? I, I poo-pooed the idea in spring that we were going to see significant snaps from Darius Robinson at defensive end this year, like, that was just kind of one of those things that you cross-train a player in spring more so than you'll actually see him play there a lot. I don't know, man. Given how this roster is shaking out, you might see him there a decent amount. Um, otherwise, like, Ja'Kai Lang needs to be good. Like, now. Like, needs to be on the field as a freshman. And boy, if you want to hear something that doesn't jive with what Eli Drinkwitz does program building-wise, it's Ja'Kai Lang as a freshman three-star. Nah, those guys don't see the fields very often for uh, for Eli Drinkwitz's team. So I'd be surprised by it. I would also be surprised if they don't add somebody else. Like, I, if there was one piece that I feel very confident in projecting they're going to take another transfer, 
it's defensive end. They've got to get another edge rusher in here. Is that above or at the same level as offensive line? I think you need a center, like in a bad way. I think this is pretty similar. Yeah. I, the problem, though, the reason why it's probably like, I would probably have center above defensive end for me, and I'm curious your perspective on this. I think you have two starters at defensive end right now. I don't know that you have a starting caliber center currently. So I would I would go, and I know you are really good on the interior of the defensive line. I'm not so sure that you're good, much less really good at offensive guard to be able to make up for the lapses at center. Where are you at on that? Same. Offensive line doesn't have a center and they were bad last year. Yeah. Defense, like I said, it can create havoc from a lot of different places. If you put, you know, I, I'm i not going to drag this guy's name again. If you just put a replacement level defensive end out there, you're, you can probably get away with that. Because you do have Johnny Walker. You do have Joe Moore. Like, I'm fine with that. Darius Robinson, DJ Wesselick, whoever else you want to put behind there, like, that's fine. You still have a bunch of studs playing around them. And let's be honest, Tyron Hopper effectively serves as an edge rusher, like basically half of the third down rushes that you're going to see. Yeah, he's a havoc dude. And even if he doesn't get the sack, he creates a pressure. So, like, yeah, there's there are ways to solve that problem. You know what would be really interesting? I don't know that they would do this. Maybe they should. What? On third downs, maybe you just put Tyron Hopper at edge rusher and you put, like, Tristan Newsom at linebacker because they seem to like Tristan Newsom. I have no idea if he's going to be actually good or not, but they seem to like him. Just like or, a stand-up uh, edge rusher, yeah. basically. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what he does, and he's, like, looping. They've got all kinds of stunts that they're running on those third-down pressures anyways. Like, who, who cares if it's an edge rusher or a linebacker that's out there? All of those roles have been so, like, minimized at this point. It's It's just a guy that is rushing the passer from the edge. And Tyron Hopper happens to be 6'2 and 220 pounds. Hey, Micah Parsons is in the NFL, and he's doing it at, like, 6'3", 240, you know? So you can do it. It's hard, but you can do it. Yeah. NFL is embracing hybrid players. Right. Talk about positionless basketball. Positionless defense. Just get a guy out there who can do it effectively. So I, I do think you can get creative to hide the fact that you don't have a lot of depth on, on your edge. I do not think you can get super creative without having a center. So... I would still put an offensive line at the top. That would be for me. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So enough of that. Let's talk about the guys who are still here. And let's talk about quarterbacks. 
did we hear a feisty quote from Eli Drinkwitz last week, who said, if the team were to walk out today, Brady Cook would be your starter. Everybody else is here just to participate and have fun. Oh, boy. I know. There, you got your camps of Missouri fans, right? You got the camp that goes, we have no idea what Brady Cook even is because he didn't have a labrum last year. And you have the other camp that goes, we have a bunch of four-star quarterbacks and none of them can see the field. How is Brady Cook our best option? And then, of course, they just yap at each other constantly. BK, what was your first thought when you heard Eli Drinkwitz talk about Brady Cook QB1 2023? Okay. So when you do this for a living, Nate, as you know, you think about things a little differently than the, than the common fan. Because the common fan probably heard this, and I don't blame you, I get it, probably said something to the degree of, what the bleep? Like, why? Why is this the route that you're going? And so my response to that, when I heard it was, similarly, why? In that, why would you make this statement? Who does it benefit? When you hear public statements, it's all PR. Like, every time that Eli Drinkwood speaks, he is serving as the public relations point man for his football program. He's a salesman. That is his job as the head coach when he is speaking to the media at the University of Missouri. So, Nate, why would he say that? Like, if we're investigating here for a moment, who does it benefit? Why would he say that now? What is the point? If he subscribes to the Nick Saban School of Public Relations, every chance he's talking to the public, he's talking to his team. And for me, this was saying, I haven't seen, I gave Jake Garcia and Sam Hoare an entire spring with no Brady Cook. Nothing. You had reps with the ones the entire time, and you did not impress me be better. That is what I think he is trying to say. I don't think it's an effective way of saying it. I don't think it really helps anybody. I'm also not a 19-year-old college football player, so what do I know? But that is the only thing I can think of as to why he said that. What were your thoughts? Brady, please don't transfer. Now, that was what I thought. Um, when I heard this, because Brady had the opportunity uh, when is the actual date, the, the deadline to enter the portal for this? It was Sunday. It's it was Sunday? Yeah. So, yeah, he had the opportunity, if he wanted to, to enter the transfer portal. Now, I didn't expect him to, but he had the opportunity to go ahead and do that. Um, And I wonder if Eli Drinkwitz was thinking to himself, we need to make sure Brady Cook's here. And if that is the case, I think it speaks to what you just said, which is... I don't think he was super impressed with what he saw from Sam Horn or Garcia. And man, that's scary because I would say we were two of the biggest public defenders of Brady Cook this year in that I don't think he was as bad as a lot of Mizzou fans thought it was. It, it was not good. I'm not trying to sell you that Brady Cook was this world beater as a, as a college quarterback, but I think some people made it out to be that he was like, the worst thing that has ever happened to a college football offense. And I simply reject that notion. I, I think Brady Cook was a passable, totally average, very mobile college quarterback. Nothing more, nothing less. So I, I don't think you're doomed if Brady Cook is the quarterback next year. I think it completely changes the ceiling for the season, though. If Brady is your quarterback next year, this notion that they were going to take like three steps forward offensively I think it's gone. Completely gone. And I say that as somebody who likes Brady Cook. How do you feel about, if Brady Cook is the starter this year, what that means? I have a really hard time deciding what a Brady Cook-led offense is going to mean for my football team because we don't know what he's like when he's healthy. And we don't know what he's like when Kirby Moore is calling the plays instead of Eli outside zone Drinkwitz is calling the plays. You know, once we got Bush Hamden calling, or mostly calling the plays during that little three-stretch window there, it came alive. There was variety. Brady Cook was running. 
the passes made sense, the, the script made sense, the pacing made sense, and then it all went back to crap when when Hamden left and Drink went back to Colin Place for the Wake Forest game. So there's part of me that's saying, I don't know if Brady Cook is the problem. It might be Eli Drinkwitz is the problem, but again, we don't know. And so to say, you know, oh, well, the ceiling, it doesn't exist with Brady Cook, or the floor is the lava, and we're going to win zero games with Brady Cook. Like, I I can't even accept Brady Cook is going to be fine. We're going to go 6-6 six and six again. I don't know. There's too many variables. From what we saw from Brady Cook, he is a mobile guy, which only helps the run game. He wasn't accurate in the short passing game last year. Okay, chalk it up to the labor. Like, I think, like you said, he is a passable college quarterback. He is fine. He is average. But what does average do when you've upgraded the receiving core? You pray to God that there's a decent offensive line in front of him. And the running backs are not having to run into a brick wall because they're doing the obvious play over and over again. What does that look like? I think it's going to be okay if Brady Cook is your QB1. I understand, from, like you said, from a pitch, from a salesman standpoint, disappointing, not exciting. But pitching and excitement and, and all that stuff, you know how you get that too, winning games. And if Eli Drinkwitz and Kirby Moore think Brady Cook's the guy to win games, and that's what they're going to do. But, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. On the plus side, the schedule wide open this year uh, for you to go in with Nate Edwards special. I love it. Belowly, below average starting quarterback with Middle Tennessee, who's better than you think. Kentucky or uh, K State, Memphis, who was decent last year. LSU, Kentucky, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas. I'm sure this is going to go real well, R- real, real, real well with that schedule. No, it. In all seriousness, I think some of what you say there is totally fair about kind of pumping back up to a reasonable degree expectations or hopes for Brady Cook from level zero. I also would add last year they always had the benefit of saying, hey, where's Dom? Hey, where's Dom? Go find seven. You get into a bad spot, throw it to seven. You don't have a play to be made, get it to seven because he was going to make a play for you. And almost every time that he touched the ball, something good happened. Now, Luther Burden can be that player. The The version of that this year could be a go find three. And when you get it to him, he's going to make something happen. Totally possible. Maybe the offensive line, they get one or two more transfers in here and it becomes a strength instead of a uh, liability. And now suddenly, Cody Schrader, who basically gets whatever is blocked for him, well, what's blocked for him looks a lot better. And some of the RPO stuff that they would do last year with Cook and Schrader in the backfield or Cook and Pete in the backfield, well, that stuff becomes a lot more effective. Like There are outs here where it looks a little better, but I think the hope was that you had more than an average quarterback. The hope was, hey, Garcia could be, like, good. He could be a really good passer. Or the hope was, hey, man, Sam Ward was a blue-chip recruit that you bet big on and now it's time for that to pay off because Warren has the mobility and the arm and if those things don't come to be that's tough that's tough it's also spring yep all of summer all of all of August to figure this thing out things can change things that they always reserve the right to change it's just it was an interesting comment and it certainly set set the Mizzou world of flutter so we will see because we're not playing a game on May 2nd. We're playing games September 2nd. So we will, we will be patient. We'll be okay. Um, speaking of those games playing September 2nd, going to have a different rule change. A couple of rule changes came down. I think the biggest one that most people were talking about was the clock stoppage. Uh, we're no longer going to be stopping the clock when a team converts for a first down. Um, now, that's not like the clock froze. Obviously, the referee set the ball and then waved their arm and it went off. But... A lot of college football games, when you have such pass-wacky offenses, and you have for the past 15 years, uh, incomplete passes obviously stop stop the clock. But, you know, a lot of little first downs, that does it too. And when you have a warp speed offense that can get up there and then, you know, they do the little uh, the meerkat, like the little prairie dog, look over to the sideline and you have the time to do that because the clock stopped. Like, yeah, that really stretches games out. It turns a game into three and a half or four hours. Uh, I know that there have been people that talk about 
the the length of the college game, especially with all the advertising. Advertising is not going away, by the way. But if you are complaining about length of game, maybe saving yourself five or six seconds for each first down and you have, what, 40 first downs a game, that adds up. That can save some time. Uh, now, the first downs will, the clock will stop for first downs within two minutes of the half or the end of the game. So that's still there. Uh, but overall, BK, I mean, I know you are kind of team college football takes too long. What was your response when, when you heard this rule change drop? Hell yeah, baby. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. College football has such a terrible pace of play problem, and nobody has the gumption to be able to talk about it. Baseball had a pace of play problem, and their way to get rid of it was to say, hey, you know that sport that everybody talks about as being timeless? Like, quite literally, timeless? We're going to make it have a pitch clock. Like, everything is going to be timed now. And so they said, to hell with everything we've ever done in the entire history of our sport, which has a lot of history and cares a lot about numbers, we're going to do things a little differently because this is a problem for us. And man, their games were like three hours. They were like, this is way too long. Meanwhile, college football, you watch on a Saturday, and there will be games where you sit down at 11, and that game is not completed until 3.30. That is not okay. I don't have time for that. Nate doesn't have time for that. You at home with your screaming baby in the background and your wife who wants to get out, do a little something while it's nice outside, nobody's got time for it. You're going to Columbia, you're driving an hour and a half there, an hour and a half home, you're four hours while you're watching the game, you want to get some tailgating time in. Man, it's too much. It's just too much. So yeah, I was happy. To hell with all of you that wanted your college football purist out there where the clock stopped. No, this is going to be better. And you're going to be agreeing with me when you see it enacted and you say, you know what? Didn't really change much in my viewing experience. Other than the fact that I got an hour of my life back. That's good. <laughs> I, wow. I don't know if this, this hurt, hit a nerve. I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not going to confess to say that I watch a lot of football uh, from a professional standpoint. I do watch it with, with other friends or, you know, go to a bar and like just hang out the games on. I will point this out. Going from a Saturday slate of games to a Sunday slate of games is noticeable. It is so the the pace is so much different, and they don't do a whole lot of different things. Like they got the two minute warning, obviously, but like it zips. And I know professionals, you know, they don't throw it as much. You know, there's a lot of running involved and all that stuff. But like, man, it is noticeable how much faster the NFL games go. And you can you can stack those those windows of games tighter. You can get more games in during the day. Like, I know it's only 32 teams versus, you know, 134, but, like, I don't know. It, it just, when you have to clear your calendar for four hours in case of overtime, it does eat up your entire Saturday, and that's uno game. And I know that, like, you know, you work all, all week and you want to get to the game and you want to enjoy it, you want to be there. Boy, I don't want to watch four hours of Missouri getting killed by an Alabama or a Georgia, right? Like, if you're down 45 nothing. Do you want that to drag out for another two hours? Like, no, nobody wants that. Um, so I am okay with it. And I really don't think you're going to notice it all that much. Maybe the first game you call attention to it, and then every game after that it just kind of becomes a background thing. Like, I don't know. I, I am good with it. I'm curious how much time it actually saves. Um, because, again, those commercial breaks are still going to be there. But I am good with that rule. There's a lot of crap rules that they threw out that didn't get passed. I think they're mostly gunning for this, so I think it'll be okay. This is, I said what I needed to say. This is going to be considered a good rule when you look back on it. And I here's the thing, Nate. I would be shocked if after the season people are saying, anybody is saying, man, I really wish we still stopped the clock after the first downs. Like that's not going to be a thing that people say. This is going to be good. I don't think coaches and coordinators are going to mind either. Like, and that's or the players. If you have to play sixty snaps instead of seventy nine, like the players will thank you in the long run. So it's a good thing. Last thing we wanted to talk about today, we're kind of hitting into that college football world, you know, just kind of the zeitgeist zone. So let's talk about rebuilding teams. 
because we've got a really interesting test case over in Boulder, Colorado. We hinted at it a little bit earlier with the talk of Arden Walker, Colorado native, potentially going back home to Colorado to play for Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime. Um, it, I'm not calling any of you all dumb. I know that Missouri fans you know their team pretty well. I don't know how you know other teams. So let me just let me just get you caught up to speed here. So University of Colorado have stunk for quite some time as a football team. Deion Sanders was hired to be Colorado's head football coach. And since then he's had a camera crew following him around, following him around, following the staff around, basically documenting everything. It's like a huge reality show kind of set up or whatever. Anyway, you can go on to the, the Twitter side or the Instagram. You can see these videos. And one of the first things that Coach Prime said, uh, we put on social media was him in a team meeting with the entire team right after he got hired. And he was sitting there telling this team, this team that went 1-11 last year, mind you, that they better get on board. Or he was getting them out of there. Basically heavily insinuating that he didn't like this roster and he was going to clean house. So... During the 2022 season, uh, Colorado had 83 scholarship players. Before their spring game last week, Colorado had 18 players in the transfer portal. And then after the spring game, they have 20 scholarship players from the 2022 squad. And they have 43 players in the portal. Just as reference... The next closest team has 29. So it's a huge amount of roster churn. But it's worth pointing out that that while Deion Sanders is clearly sending some of these kids packing, there are some portal departures that he did not want to lose. Uh, the ones that I could think of off the top of my head was Montana Limonius. It was a wide receiver. There's linebacker Aubrey Smith. Uh, both of them earned their number during the spring. And then they were both actually uh, antagonized by Shadur Sanders, who was Deion Sanders' kid and the starting quarterback. So... On top of that, Colorado is not releasing spring practice footage to, to other schools to review um, or analyze their players leading. So, uh, that, that has since been... Oh, they changed that? Okay. They have since said we will send the necessary video. There's just there's a lot going on here, yeah. BK, and it, it feels like it's just a, a, a little capsule of the transfer portal era. So what are your thoughts on all this? Oh... There's a lot wrapped up into this discussion because Deion Sanders is a lot. Like, just, he, he in and of itself was always going to be a very controversial figure as a Power 5 coach because he does things his way, and his way is, first of all, very old school, and second of all, very flashy. Like, he's going to be out in your face with the way that he wants to do things. And so... That's not for everybody, man. He's going to have stuff posted on social media. He's going to have video cameras following him at all times. He's going to have NIL deals with media companies. He's going to be trying to raise as much money possible, and that's going to come in part because of some of the stuff that I've already mentioned. So, like, all of that is part of the Deion Sanders experience, and that's before we get to anything that resolves in or results in the transfers that we've seen already in the roster building process that he's about to have. I have no strong opinion on if this is going to work. And I know that's bad for what we do, but it's the truth. I don't know. I think it's likely to have three steps back before there's a step forward. And that's tough at a program where they were already really bad. And so, like, I... I don't know, man. I don't know that you can build a roster this way. I think it's going to be really hard for him. I don't know that you can have a team come together on the fly in the next two months and have that coalesce in a way that is meaningful. Like, there's just, there's a lot more to football. There's a lot more to program building than gathering a bunch of talent over the course of three months and saying, this is our team. You can maybe do that in basketball where you've got like seven guys that play in meaningful games. You cannot, in my opinion, do that in college football where you're going to have 45 guys see the field in meaningful snaps. So I think their depth is going to be a problem for them this year. I think they're going to have places where they just flat out don't have a power five starter and it's probably going to come in places where they're uncomfortable 
not having a legitimate power five starter. And it's going to take a long time, years potentially, like two or three years before they feel really good about where they're at program building wise. And that's where it just comes down to like, does he have that kind of shelf life? Will people be willing to stick with him because of everything else that comes along with Deion Sanders if he struggles, if he doesn't do a lot of winning in the first couple of seasons? And that's where it'll be different than what happened at Jackson State. At Jackson State, you can add a couple of blue chip talents and you stand out compared to your competition. At Colorado, if you get a couple of blue chip talents, you're just still a lower level power five program. And you also have a bunch of big holes. So it's going to be interesting, man. This is going to be nothing if not fascinating. Where are you at on this? Because I know this is like a dream scenario for you to find out what it looks like. Yeah. As a, as the uh, college football scientist, I'm like, oh my god, yes, this is my little controlled environment. Um, along the blue chipper line, you remember Jackson State got smoked at the Celebration Bowl, not once but twice. So, even with a talent advantage, he is not uh, he's not averse to getting his ass beat. Um, do you remember who Deion Sanders' college coach was? Would have been at uh, Florida State during the. The special era with Bowden, right? Yeah, Bobby Bowden. A lot of what Deion Sanders says is almost like verbatim Bobby Bowden stuff. You know? Um, and it's a very hard-edged, like you said, kind of in-your-face style with the Deion Sanders prime flashiness to it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to reserve ultimate judgment on how this is going to work. My thought does lean towards you, though, that this is going to be rough. And I don't know how much that Coach Prime stuff is going to sound when you're 0-3. Like, when are they going to win their first Power 5 game? You know, you start, you get Nebraska. <laughs> like, are you really going to beat Nebraska? Colorado State might beat them. I, I, and Colorado State stinks. I, I just, I don't know where the wins are going to come. Maybe if you play a Cal. Uh, maybe if you play a Stanford. But you got USC on the docket. Like, they are going to get smashed. And the reason I say that is because the lines, offensive line, defensive line, there are guys from the portal who have left who are now on Power 5 rosters, including their starting left tackle who either he told them to kick rocks or the guy did, and he got scooped up by UCLA almost immediately. I mean, for God's sakes, Eli Drinkwitz has been looking for one offensive lineman for six months and he can't get one. And you're telling me that Deion Sanders is going to find five? And this is, so this is an important piece too, Nate. I'm sure that a lot of fans will listen to this and I, they're going to get, like Colorado's going to get guys that Mizzou was after. It's going to happen. Uh, there will be guys that decide not to come to Mizzou and to go to Colorado instead. Keep this in mind. That guy is not their missing link. That guy is a key piece to the build. That guy will become a foundational piece there, whereas Mizzou is looking for, like, a center, a defensive end, maybe a running back, as rounding out the roster that they have already built. And so, yeah, that guy might be going to Colorado, and that sucks that they picked them over Mizzou for Mizzou fans, but that doesn't inherently mean that, like, that program is in a better spot than where you are right now. If you were asking me today... Where would I rather be in my program's life cycle with Eli Drinkwitz or with Deion Sanders? The answer is resounding with where Mizzou is at right now. And it's not just because Colorado doesn't have much of a roster. It will be that way even after this upcoming season. They are going to have to make some, some decisions that they don't want to make just to fill out 85 scholarships and field a team and a practice squad. And when you, you know... I hate, always hate this, but it's it's applicable here. When it's 2 a.m. and it's last call and you're looking around like, I don't, you'll do. Like, that's not where you want to be. Mizzou basketball did this a little bit with Konzo. When Konzo yeah. was the coach for the basketball team, there would be guys that they would take where, like, I remember seeing them add some of these players and being like, that guy's not a Power 5 player. And they were getting scholarships at Mizzou, and it was just because they've got a scholarship, so... Let's see if this guy will work. Mm -hmm. And that's what Colorado is going to have to do. Now, the tough part with that, with basketball, like it's one spot out of 13 and you can get rid of them the next year. It's no big deal. And football, man, you've got 85 of them. And 
you've got spots on the roster that end up becoming really precious for development. And if you're going to be taking up a decent number of those, like maybe it's 10 or 15 that they end up just having to add to be able to practice this season, um, you're, you're going to be in a bad place after the year of trying to run those guys off again. And if they've got connections and they're at, they're from high school programs that you then want to recruit or something like that. Like it's, there are unintended consequences to building the way that they are. Again, fascinating. I am so happy that we can follow this and it's not my team uh, because I want to know what this looks like at a power five level. And you can make your argument of the quality of the pac 12. I don't care. I just want to see what this looks like. How do you go extreme portal rebuild? And if, I don't know how much more extreme you can get than what Deion Sanders is currently doing in Boulder. So fascinating stuff. Do they get to 85 scholarships? I don't know. What's their depth chart look like? I don't know. Are they going to win a power five game? I don't know. But we get to figure it out in the fall. And I, I feel like there's been a discourse about the portal, specifically about rebuilding and how the portal uh, – and I'm not saying this is everybody, but th there have been murmurs of like the portal erases, which would call it like a year zero, like a hard reset. It gets rid of that because you can just, you know, portal your way to a new team. But I've never viewed it that way. I, I, much like you, it's like the portal needs to be edging out corners that you don't currently have, like just polishing it up. The one piece that's going to push you over the edge. It's It should not be there to overhaul your roster. And even if you can, I really don't think you should. I mean, if you have five guys on the offensive line who've never played together, that is a position group that needs to know each other, know the scheme really well. If you have five defensive backs who've never played together and, like, switching off and playing combo coverage and who's got what, like, you need those guys to be familiar with each other. Just bringing in a bunch of mercenaries who have no, who are not professionals, who have not been in this system before, my God, I, I think it's going to be a train wreck. But I don't know. I'm like, I am very excited to see it, but it's it's great for experimentation. It's great because you've got such an entertaining guy. I just feel like it's going to explode within three weeks, and I don't know how he's going to sound. How does Coach Prime sound when he's 0-3, 0-4? I don't think it's going to be the same. It, it's not going to be, and that's the one thing we have not seen yet. Like, we have not seen what it looks like when it's week 8 and he's 1-7. and seven. And you've got a locker room that's frustrated, and he's still using the same tactics to try to get through to them. And now, being a, a hard-nosed coach, I'll put it that way, um, is not quite as fun when you don't get the winning out of it. Nate, I don't know if you've been around bosses that can be jerks, but probably most people in our audience have been. And it can go one of two ways, right? If you end up seeing the results, you kind of put up with it. And you're like, you know what? I don't love the way that they talk to me or I don't love the way that I'm treated or whatever, but the money's pretty good. And hey, man, we're kind of seeing the results of this. But if you don't see the results and the money's not good, well, then suddenly you're like, man, I don't need to be treated this way. I don't need to be talked to this way. I've got alternatives out there. I'm good at what I do. I'm just going to go do so, do it somewhere else where I feel happier because of what I'm getting out of it on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where it will become really interesting is when players that are coming in right now for the opportunity to be a part of Coach Prime, well, what about when Coach Prime ain't winning? If part of his current culture, part of his current sell is, you come here, we're going to win. What if you don't? Now it's going to suck for the guys who spend their one transfer there. Now you can you can leave immediately if you're a grad transfer, but whew, there's going to be a couple of guys who are going to feel like they got a bill of sale that was not what they signed up for. So it, again, fascinating story. I don't think this really changes rebuilding. If you were to ask me, year zero should still exist. Maybe not to the degree that it should be. Maybe instead of four years, you get two because you can do a decent amount of overhaul. But man. Until you show me a test case where this works, I'm not going to think it's the right way to do it. And I'm glad someone's going to give us at least one. Uh, and I'm glad it's not my team. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to be keeping track of Colorado. Not as much as Mizzou, but it, I'm going to be tuning in to see what that looks like and how they play because that's, that's good That's good entertainment. That's good TV. Uh, and, you know, it's something to keep you through the fall. So, man, I think that's all we got. 
think that's it. We've almost got an hour on here. BK, any uh, final thoughts, final shots? I don't think so, man. Um, I am really curious to see what the summer brings in terms of transfers for Mizzou. I do still think they need a tight end. I think they need a center or a guard, preferably both if possible. Uh, running back would be nice, and a defensive end would be really helpful as well. So they've they've got a few spots that you'd still like to see them add to, and they've got opportunities out there. The transfer portal is still out there available to teams and even into the fall you're going to see some guys that are added to to rosters that end up being helpful pieces so i'll be curious to see what that looks like but for now um we are basically out of the real roster movement in a significant way for this year and we are out of the spring ball portion of the calendar as well now it just becomes prime recruiting season for the 2024 season. So that's where we'll probably spend the majority of uh, the next few shows discussing. That's right. So we've got that to look forward to. Well, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. You can see it right there at the bottom of your screen. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and our podcast now at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z, B-O-U.